Today's scripture is from Isaiah chapter 11. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor, make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat, and the calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child would put his hand in a nest of deadly stakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with the people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir of David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Then at last, the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore. I used to like the news for the most part. It's intriguing, interesting to see what's going on in the world. Sometimes frightening, sometimes even pleasing in the message it delivered. But when I I read history, um, I get the willies. I find that the the truly... uh, bad things get glossed over a lot, and a a lot of that's happening today, Uh, that things we don't want to admit get conveniently written out. Um, I had, uh, you know, there's there's a lot being said these days about uh, banned books and that sort of thing. One of the books was Mouse, M-A-U-S. It's a graphic novel. Thank you. Wonderful book. It's, it's wonderful. It's about uh, uh, written by a guy whose family survived the Holocaust, and, and so it's, it's about that piece of history. And after Bev and I both read it, and uh, after we read it, uh, we're going, why did this get banned? You know, what, what did anybody find to ban about this? And I, I uh, texted a friend of mine, and uh, I know the way they raise their children, and I said, would you like our copy of Mouse? I'd be happy to give it to you if you'd like it. Oh, my, yes. And so we got together for coffee about a week ago, and uh, I, I passed it on to her. Why do we want to shut that sort of stuff out? Why do we want to hide truth, hide things that might make us better people? Or, or racism, or uh, I used to, Charles Lindbergh used to be a hero of mine. He was the, the first person to ever solo from New York to Paris. Uh, Lindbergh's were in the, in the news a lot uh, because of his, his fame. But he was, he was pro-Nazi and used anti-Semitic language, I found out in my adulthood. Um, 
slipped drastically in my opinion of him. I have to admit that history hasn't really changed. It's not really changed. And what we're waiting for, what Advent is all about, is we're waiting for the redemption of history, the redemption of our land, the redemption of our lives. Uh, Rachel Maddow, just to illustrate, has, has a podcast now called Ultra, and it's, it's really wonderful. Uh, and it's about a time in the 40s in American history that you will swear was ripped out of the front page of our newspapers today. Uh, there was a movement in our Congress to, uh, to coup d'etat, to overturn our government, uh, to, to get us to espouse the uh, anti-Semitic and, and, and racist points of view of, of other people. There was actually an America First movement at that time. Did you know that? 1940s. It sounds just like today. Can you imagine what would have happened to our world if, uh, if, if the U.S. And, and allies had not entered into World War II? What would have happened? Uh, what would have happened if there had not been a response to Japan after, after Pearl Harbor? I'm telling you all this not to, to cause you pain, but to say that Israel, at the time of the Old Testament, had very similar things going on in its history. So, that, uh, Jake, will you put that map up? I... I want to, this is going to be a nest I'm building for you, so this map becomes very important. Uh, over on the right, you'll see Assyria. I think I can walk back there and point to things better. And Assyria, at the time of our, our text, is the world power. Assyria was a ruthless and horrible nation, and people feared Assyria. Uh, down here is, is the area of the world that we call Israel today. Uh, at the time of the text, it was divided into Judah and Israel. And so Judah was, in terms of landmass and people, the smaller of the two, but it was also the home to the temple. It was the nuclear center of Judaism. And uh, Israel was the ten tribes, the larger section of Israel, that had seceded because they didn't want uh, rule like uh, Rehoboam was going to bring them. Another nation that's important Syria here, and I'm going to talk about these three things, Assyria, Syria, Israel, and Judah. Actually, four things, didn't um, so, Judah and Israel weren't on good terms. At the time of our text, Assyria was bearing down on, on Israel, those northern ten tribes, and was threatening. And so Israel 
formed an, uh, an alliance with, with Syria. So remember those two nations sat fairly close together and they, were, they formed this alliance because they were going to go to war against Assyria. And it was self-protection. But Syria and Israel, their kings were named Pika and Rezin, R-E-Z-I-N, tried to draw Judah into their, their alliance because they figured that militarily they would be far stronger if they had another nation to join them in this alliance against Assyria. Ahaz was king at this time in Judah. But uh, Ahaz said, no dice, we're not doing that. We'll come back to this in a minute. But doesn't this feel like today? Doesn't it feel like change a few characters and you have the same sort of intrigue and, and trouble going on in today's world? Well, to our text. Uh, the prophets give us a really good lesson in how to uh, interpret Old Testament to New Testament stuff. It's a great lesson, in fact. First and most important thing is that the prophets were writing a very specific message to a very specific time in history. They were writing it for their people at that time. And so the contemporary issues... Uh, that, that I think are important to understand is that Ahaz was king over Judah during the time of Assyrian power. Ahaz also was a vassal. He wasn't, he wasn't clean, really, himself. He was not a great king because he was paying money to Assyria to keep them off his back. He was just doing it in a diplomatic way, what Assyria, uh, pardon me, Israel and Syria were trying to do militarily. He was a vassal. He was paying money. What do you think would have happened if he quit paying money to Assyria? And a more important question, and I'll keep circulating back to, the, to these things is what did God think about? The military alliance as well as being a vassal and paying money to this, this terrible power. What did God think about that? Uh, what did God think that his people were saying about him and about their relationship with him? I think that's a really important question in this text. Number two, Ahaz had a son named Hezekiah, and Hezekiah became king after Ahaz died. And Hezekiah was a great king. In fact, he's called good king Hezekiah because of the, the great good that he did for Judah. He got rid of Baal worship, he really straightened the nation out spiritually, religiously. 
And in that sense, God was pleased with Hezekiah and the leadership that he exerted. Uh, but Hezekiah did not learn the lesson of Israel and the vestiges of Baal worship. Assyria subsequently invaded Judah and took away its wealth. It wasn't like Babylonian invasion where they took away people. But they invaded and they did terrible things and they took away wealth during Hezekiah's reign. Assyria was the 500-pound gorilla, as far as I'm concerned, for the people of Israel and Judah. 500-pound gorilla. What do, you, what do you think about it? Uh, and I think this is, lesson one is, we, we're taught a lesson in biblical interpretation. Number two is, I think it forces us to think about how we fit inside the history that we live in. And the role that God will play in our lives as we sit within this history. So Israel and Judah were really, whether they thought about it or not, were really involved in that question. The question is, what are we going to do with God? What role will God play in our life? How will God affect our politics? How will God affect the way that we govern and, and lead and rule our people? That's the issue that these people that were listening to Isaiah had to deal with. I submit to you that it's no different today. As an aside, I, I get really frustrated, angry even, at people in Congress who pretend to be Christians at some level but never, ever show any indication of godly influence in their life. They would sacrifice their mother to get what they want. Lesson number three in my second point <coughs> is how does the New Testament use this information? So I think we've already established that Isaiah 11, also Isaiah 7, which is a great chapter, have to do with a situation that Israel and Judah were dealing with at that moment. And so when Isaiah was speaking, he was speaking to his people then. Well, how does the New Testament use it? <coughs> Matthew 23 is, uh, pardon me, Matthew 1, 23, is, is the text <coughs> that uh, that that we Christians often think of when we're interpreting this passage. But let's not, in our doing that, forget the cultural component of that, the historical component. What was Isaiah saying to his people? Now, the second question is, what might Isaiah be saying to us today 
how does the New Testament deal with it? Well, In, in verse 23, well, verse 22, it says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So you, you see that, that Matthew, reading Isaiah, said, Aha! Look at what Isaiah was saying all those centuries ago. <clears throat> Joel had us sing some, some great songs today, and one of them was about this very matter of Emmanuel. <clears throat> well, one of the, the really niggling questions, one of the questions that just won't leave you alone is in Isaiah 10, 7, 10, in which Isaiah says to Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It's, this is really kind of a funny text because it begins with uh, God saying to Ahaz, Ahaz, what do I have to do to convince you? Give me, ask for a sign. Let me give you a sign. <clears throat> no one knows why Ahaz pretends to be uh, religious and respectful and full of awe with regard to God. He says, oh, I would never ask you for a sign. I would never do that. As if he's this great person of faith and he doesn't need a sign from God. God says, this is Loeb's words, I'm fed up with you. I gave you an opportunity to ask me for a sign and you didn't ask for one. I'll give you a sign. And the sign is this. A young woman, Alma in Hebrew, will conceive. Well, of course, in, in the New Testament, that gets interpreted a different way. We think of Mary. We think of Jesus. We think of Nativity. And in the text, in the Isaiah text, it says this is going to happen before the kid's even been weaned. So we know what, what Isaiah has in his mind and what he's saying to Ahaz is something contemporary. Look, Ahaz, before this young woman is going to give birth and before that child reaches weaning age, this is going to happen. Some think that Emmanuel, God with us, is, is Hezekiah because he was such a great king and he did such great things for his people. And I, I think that's feasible. I think uh, I, I don't I don't see anybody in, in in the history of Israel following Ahaz and Hezekiah that rises to this level. It really kind of has to be Hezekiah. But Matthew says 
This is speaking to us too. I, I love this about the Old and the New Testaments. It's because you see this dance that goes on between them. You, you see New Testament writers saying, man, what's going on today reminds me of this. I'm going to snatch that verse as I speak to my people. Well, Judah doesn't take seriously the care of the Lord, 8, 5 through 8. Judah's deaf. Judah doesn't listen. Can't teach her anything. And God tells Judah that God will destroy Assyria, and he does. Assyria becomes a second-rate power and, and loses its influence in the world. Babylon rises to that level later. God will destroy Assyria and the flood of God's wrath will sweep into Judah until it is chin deep. You're going to be swimming in the wrath of God. And this, this is the context of the prophecy that Salvation is going to come from the stump of Jesse. And aside, I think that, that these stories of ancient Israel uh, show us how, how devastating a, a bad, a corrupt leader is. It shows us just what happens when, when people, for desperation or for whatever reason, elect or call to the front somebody who is desperately corrupt. Christopher Seitz says that this prophecy about the virgin, about the young woman, was fulfilled in that day by the coming of Hezekiah to the throne. and in our day by the coming of Messiah. Well, we're told in 11.1 um, that out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from old roots. You know, we went to uh, Cayucas a few weeks ago. And uh, John and Linda took us to this, this nursery. It's really a neat place. And at the very back, there's this, this lady named Lynn who sells plants, which you would expect in a nursery, right? But this nursery is full of all kinds of other stuff. And Bev brought home these uh, three or four little things in this pot that look like rocks. You look at them and, and you know, what? why did you buy that? You know, where, what's beautiful about that, these four rocks? Until one morning you look at these rocks in the, in the sunlight and there's a, a shoot popping out of one of them. 
counterbalance. And, and that shoot turns into a flower. And that's the picture that Isaiah is drawing for, um, for his people. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the older root. Other translations say from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was David's father. So, so Jesse, you could say, was the, the uh, familial DNA that brought along David. And guess who later comes from that same stock, that same root stock? Jesus. Seems like such an appropriate text, doesn't it? David, by the way, was the greatest king that Israel had during the time of, the, of their rule by king. Greatest one. We have many of the Psalms were written by David. He was a man of great worship. He was a, grand, a man who was, who was flawed and, and committed all kinds of terrible things. Raping Bathsheba. But then there's this part of his life that he's just torn. Torn inwardly by the guilt of his own failure. His own sin. So much so, much so that, that God calls him a man after my own heart. Flawed, yeah. But deep down inside is beating this this integrity, this, this love, this commitment, this righteousness. That's Jesse's rootstock. That's the little shoot coming up out of the plant that looks like a rock. Looking back on this, this was funny, but it wasn't funny at the time. My neighbor, the, the house next to us is... is is rented, and we really like the people that are renting it, but it's owned by, by Glenna, and Glenna's a nice person, and she has this big old monster eucalyptus tree in the backyard, and it <coughs> hangs over, at the time, my yard, and it drops stuff in my pool, and so I, I wrote her, and I said, hey, hey, Glenna, can you do something about this tree? And so she hires a, a tree company to come, and they, they cut all of the leaves and, I mean, the, uh, the limbs and that sort of thing and severely pruned it. And I know that they were going in their mind, okay, we took care of it. This is, this is probably going to kill this tree. Or it's going to be severely stunted. But it came back with a vengeance worse than it was before. It nearly shaded our whole backyard. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but that's the picture that Isaiah's drawing for us. Out of, out of what looks like a stump, the Davidic line of kings, out of the stump, long dead, this little sheep 
And uh, Matthew's point, and I, I think Matthew's right, is that there's never been anybody like him. Listen to what Isaiah says. This one is going to have a spirit of wisdom. He's going to give justice to the poor. What a novel idea. Justice to the poor. Finally, somebody's going to come along that sees the poor and helps them out. He will wear righteousness like, like a belt. He won't lie to you in Congress. He won't, he won't manufacture things that are not true. This is a one who is going to wear righteousness, righteousness like a belt. It is going to be a prominent part of his character, and you will notice it because of the way he conducts his life. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. Things with, with very opposite character that exist for, for different reasons will lie down together. We once went to the San Diego Zoo. In one part of the zoo, there was a, a predator up here in a cage. And down here, farther down, in eye shot, is an animal that this animal eats <laughs> for breakfast. And what Isaiah says is, hey, you can put those two in the same cage. They're going, they're going to get along in my kingdom. Nothing will hurt or destroy in my holy mountain. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation for the whole world. Not just a tiny nation, but the whole world will flow into this. Man, can you imagine how glorious that will be? How glorious. Dee got a little picture of that this past week. A neighbor of hers who's, who's Muslim said, Dee, you cannot take care of these two cars you've got. I'm going to help you get a new car. And ask her, and her face will light up like a lamp to, to show you her car sitting out there on the lot. <laughs> well, wait a minute. <laughs> Let me finish. Okay. <laughs> uh, and you see, in, in God's kingdom, that's the way it works. You don't have people saying, you don't look like me. You don't act like me. You have different cultural values. In, in the Lord's kingdom, it's, it's like, come sit by me. I, I want to learn from you. I want to know what you think. I want to eat your food. This is the second Sunday of Advent. Um, I hope I've, I've maybe, if you've read Isaiah 7 and 11, hope you'll go back to that, read it again now with maybe some different glasses on. Uh, look at what Isaiah is saying. It will raise questions in your mind. 
but I, I hope it has also increased for you uh, an appreciation for what it is that God is saying is going to be different in his holy mountain. It's going to be different in the world that he redeems, restores us to be. Um, we wait, do we not, for the true Emmanuel. Let's pray. O oh Lord, Isaiah looked into the future where there would be no Assyria to devastate God's people. No Assyria who would exploit the weak and the defenseless. We look forward to a world where the shoot of Jesse is growing and prospering and we will dwell in the shelter of, of his shade. Help us in our waiting. In Jesus' name we pray this.